0: Earlier, we read the Lord's Prayer together uh, as kind of an introduction to today. And it really is kind of an introduction to the series that we're starting this morning. Now, I've told you this before, I'm sure, but one of my favorite, all time favorite stories about the Lord's Prayer comes from a guy named Ken Davis. And he writes about this in one section of a book he wrote. And it involves a guy named John Cassis. Uh, Cassis was one of uh, kind of the inspirational leaders of the Chicago Bears back in their glory years during the mid eighties. And often he would give kind of short talks to players on uh, game day. Well, as John tells his story, Mike Ditka, who of course was the head coach of the Bears, uh, was about to deliver a locker room kind of pep talk to the guys. And he looked up and he saw a defensive tackle named William Refrigerator Perry. You remember the fridge? Well, it was kind of hard to miss. He was 338 pounds. And he kind of stood out in a crowd, even of football players. And so Ditka gestured over to him and said, Fridge, when I get finished with my talk today, I'd like you to close us out with the Lord's Prayer. So Ditka began the talk. And meanwhile, in another part of the room, Jim McMahon, who you probably remember was this very brash and kind of outspoken quarterback of the Bears, he punched John Cassis. And he said, look, look at Refrigerator Perry. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And sure enough, Perry was sitting on the side with panic on his face, his head in his hands. He was sweating profusely. And John said, come on, Jim, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. So after a few minutes of watching Refrigerator Perry, McMahon leaned over to John and he said, I'll bet you 50 bucks that the fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. John couldn't believe this. He said, here we are sitting in chapel betting 50 bucks on the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Well, when had finished his pep talk, he asked all the men to remove their caps. He looked over at the fridge and he, bow, he said to him, he said, fridge, will you lead us in the Lord's prayer? Everybody bowed their heads. It was quiet for just a few moments. And finally, the fridge spoke in a very shaky voice. And he said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cassius felt this tap on his shoulder and it was Jim McMahon. Here's the 50 bucks, he whispered. He said, I had no idea, Perry knew. The Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Uh, Such a great story. Well, I want you to know today that we are starting a series not really about the Lord's Prayer, but kind of like a part of the Lord's Prayer. We're starting a series today, and this is a big, huge subject, about the kingdom of God. And on this first Sunday, I want to kind of begin with kind of getting our minds around and kind of probing your comprehension of the part of the Lord's Prayer that says these words. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now what in the world does that mean? Now there are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, the, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Seven requests, and this is just one of them, but it's a very important one. And here's the deal. If I were to ask you to turn to someone today, a spouse, a friend, a neighbor next to you, and explain to them exactly what is the kingdom of God in your mind, what would you say? I mean, would it be really easy, like right off the tip of your tongue, or would you kind of be hemming and hawing for a little bit? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's tough, and I want to tell you why. As human beings, we can barely... Imagine the kingdom of God. What would this earth look like if God's kingdom were to really come to it? it? Kind of boggles your mind. If what was going on in a heavenly realm, in a heavenly sphere, would be going on on this earth. It's hard to get our head around, but we need to try. Try. So we're going to dive into this. And the good news is that the writer of scriptures spent an enormous amount of time reflecting on what would it look like if this earth were aligned rightly with the kingdom of heaven. They write about this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And because this involves spiritual reality, and spirituality is very hard to describe sometimes, especially for finite people with finite brains, most of the time the scripture writers would use images to convey to us what life would look like with God. In other words, if God were reigning and ruling like he should be, what would it look like on this earth? So they used images. Often you'll hear uh, people, maybe somebody running for president, will say something like, under the reign of my administration, I'll get this country moving again. Well, of course, they're not saying physically they're going to get the country moving. They're talking about progress and growth. And scripture writers do the same thing with images. So what we're going to do today is look at some of the images from scripture. And I want to think about how this would be expressed in our day, in the year 2016. And the truth behind them is very, very important. And my goal here today is that we will come away with the ability to pray with some intelligence, with some understanding about how the kingdom of God can come into our world. What would it look like? Well, first of all, let's start with the sphere of economics our human need. John, the revelator, writes in Revelation 7 about the day when God's kingdom is going to fully come. And here's what he says. He says, never again will they be hungry. Never again will they thirst. Let's stop and think about the elimination of poverty. No more pictures of little children with swollen bellies. No scarcity at all. No mothers trying to scrounge around, trying to find enough food so their children, their babies can survive. But it's not just the end of poverty, John says. He says, uh, also there will be an overflow of abundance. The prophet Amos wrote about this. He said, the days are coming. Now think about this image. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps when new wine would drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Now remember, he writes this in kind of a desert context. They would reap, and then they would have to wait a long, long time for rain to come because it wasn't very fertile ground. And the writer here says, listen, this earth is going to be redeemed from the curse. The one who plows and the one that reaps are actually going to end up bumping into one another. He says, that's how much abundance there's going to be. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. Now, this doesn't mean that there's literally going to be Chardonnay in the Rockies, okay? The last thing Colorado needs right now is some wine to mix with whatever else they have going on out there. (laughs) Instead, it's an image of abundance. For our day, it would be like every day the stock market will end a little higher than the day before. It's kind of like saying the bull will dwell on Wall Street forever and the bear will visit it no more. Little children in Africa will have carpeted bedrooms and private baths. The jobless rate will go down to zero and everybody will get up on Monday morning and love what they do for a living. Think about that. Then there's a sphere of politics. In our history, the human history, Mostly, let's be honest, it's about conflict. Isaiah says these. He says, God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Think about this. There will be peace and no more enemies. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. One writer wrote about this in modern times, and he said, Intercontinental ballistic missile silos will be converted into training tanks for inner city kids learning how to scuba dive. There will be peace. Isaiah says the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra. And young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Do you understand the writers are trying to convey to us a world where peace, peace will finally come. Listen, Democrats and Republicans will talk good about one another. (laughs) Donald Trump... And Hillary Clinton's families will go on vacation together the lion will lay down with the lamb the dog will make peace with the rabbit and the cat will disappear from the face of the earth (laughs) I'm kidding I'm totally kidding John says in his vision that the street of the great city, listen, the street of the city of God, God's community, is paved with pure gold. It's surrounded by 12 gates, and each gate is made of a single pearl. And see, what he's using here is he's using imagery to say that the kingdom of God will be a place where aesthetic beauty will flourish. I don't know if you know how important this is to God, but it is important. No more pollution. No more run-down inner city Buildings marred with graffiti and broken windows. No more concrete ghettos or barrios. And the creative genius that God has placed in people, made in his image, the image of the creator, will blossom and flourish. Listen, and every day will just be one beautiful masterpiece. The drawings that little children give their parents to hang on the refrigerator. They'll be like a work of art from Michelangelo or Van Gogh or Picasso. Actually, most of them look like Picasso now, so they'll look like Michelangelo or Van Gogh. Listen, when teenage girls in the city look at magazine covers and then they look in the mirror, they'll actually say to themselves, you know, (laughs) I look just right. Because society will then have learned to celebrate the beauty that God sees When he looks at human beings made in his image, and every single one of them, regardless of their shape or their size or their color, they will look in the mirror and they'll say, I look just right. And then the Bible says something interesting. And boy, do we need to hear this. It says, The kingdom of God will be a place of no more fear. John put it like this in Revelation. He said, On no day will its gates ever be shut because there's no night there. Now in biblical times, of course, they didn't have electricity. But night was a time of darkness. It was a time of vulnerability. It was a time when crimes were committed. It was a time of fear. And in the kingdom of God, the writers say, That'll be over. No more locked doors. No gated communities. No security systems. You won't have to lose your keys because there won't be any need for keys. Police cars will actually pull people over, but now they'll commend them for their good deeds. When they say, do you know why I pulled you over? It'll be because they'll be passing out citations for courtesy among drivers. Think about this. What would it be like to live in a world of no fear? I don't know. In my lifetime, certainly since World War II, if we've ever lived in a time when people are more fearful. And the people we see every day on TV, the people that tell us what's going on in the world, seem to be driven by this need to scare us more and more. But in the kingdom of God, it says it will be no more fear. And then one other thing... The writer says, in the kingdom of God, family life will be redeemed. This is beautiful. Scripture says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And by the way, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Think about a world of no more separation. No more divorce. No more affairs. No more abuse. No more neglect. No unloved, unwanted children. Listen. People will stay up late at night thinking of ways to serve each other in the family. Children will insist that their brother or sister get the next piece of cake. People will still watch Jerry Springer, but now it'll be to see shows and titles like My Spouse Secretly Loves Me Twice As Much As I Thought He Did. (laughs) And then these beautiful words from John. And I heard a loud voice saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I want you to think about this. No more Kleenex. No more funeral homes. We will turn caskets into toy chests. Herses will be converted to sport utility vehicles with names like Eternal Voyager and Jeep Grand Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> Counselors, if you're a counselor, you'll still have a job, but it'll just be for people to come because they're so full of gratitude and they need to talk to somebody. <laughs> and then this is beautiful. Every day, every day, friend, you will be home with God. No more stony hearts. No more cold hearts. No more stubborn hearts. You won't have to say things you'll later regret or do things that you'll be ashamed of. Listen, when you see somebody else's success or their beauty or their wealth, it won't even occur to you to be envious. You'll just rejoice with them. Every tribe and nation and people, listen, will gather around like brothers and sisters around the throne And as you listen to my voice, mark this down, you will see the living God. Do I know what that looks like? Not exactly. But you will see God. And he will be your God and you will be his people. Now, what does this mean? It means that the curse will be no more. You know, we've been dealing with this for a while. Cursed is the ground, cursed is the man, cursed is the woman. And what would it look like if that were no more and God's kingdom were to come to this earth? Well, the technical way of saying this, one writer has said, is that the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. You've heard me say this before. It's that sphere in which what God wants to happen, happens. That's the kingdom. It's very important as followers of Jesus that this be one of the primary motivations of our life. Now the reason that we have such a problem with this is because part of us, because we're human, we wonder on the inside, is that even really possible? Look at the world that we're living in. Will it ever, ever really come when it is fully done and God is fully reigning Is that really going to happen or is it wishful thinking? Well, you need to know if you follow Jesus that his whole message really was about the reality of the kingdom. He talks about it constantly. In fact, when Mark is summarizing his gospel, he says in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, this is the good news. He says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Now here's the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus says the kingdom is coming, he's not saying that it's almost here. It's kind of close. He's saying it's now available. You can now live in this. And the reason is because in human history, there is one person who has lived on this earth in the flesh in which God's will, listen, had a hindered sway over his life, and that was Jesus. Jesus bore in his own person, in his own flesh and blood, the reality of the kingdom of God. And everybody that saw him saw a life lived in the reality of God, a life in which God, whatever he desired, is what Jesus chose. And then he says to me and you, he says, now it's possible. When people ask you what the gospel is, this is the gospel. It is now possible for human beings to live in the presence and power of God. If you want to be fully devoted to him, he says, learn how to live in my kingdom. You know, we talk about vision a lot in this world. Jesus cast the most compelling vision that the human race has ever heard. And when men and women really understood it, when they really grasped it, they would devote their lives to it. They sacrificed their possessions for it, even their careers for it. They sacrificed their homes and their lives for it. And they did it joyfully, laughing and weeping and dancing. We kind of lost that. The, the miracles that Jesus did really were to authenticate the reality of the kingdom. You know, one day, friends, there will be no more kingdoms. See, one of the reasons that we're so surprised by the coming of the kingdom, especially in Jesus' day, is that there were still other kingdoms. Think about this. Caesar had a kingdom. Kingdoms of different countries, kingdoms of different economic powers. And even in our day, we have people who have their own little kingdoms many of which are opposed to God. But one day there will be a kingdom, God's kingdom. And we are going to experience it in all of its fullness. This is why the writers couldn't get enough of writing about it. Now the question for today is, and we'll kind of end with this, how will the kingdom come in our world? How will this sorry fallen world that we live in get straightened out? Now, I want to let you know this morning how I think it won't be done. First of all, I don't think it will be done through human power. If you notice, revolutions have come and revolutions have gone. Governments get overthrown and still people go on hating each other. Think about it. War is still breaking out. Sometimes, sometimes people think, you know what? If we could just get enough economic growth... A rising tide will just kind of lift all boats. Hasn't happened yet. Sometimes people think it's a political deal. Oddly enough, and this is kind of crazy, but sometimes even church people think, you know what, if we could just get our guy or our gal elected, and it's the weirdest thing, so far the kingdom has not arrived on Air Force One. Personal opinion, I don't think it ever will. So how will the kingdom come? Amazingly, it starts with prayer. We, followers of Jesus, just begin praying, your kingdom come. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that in the Lord's Prayer, there's seven requests. <coughs> and you can kind of divide those into two kind of categories. The first three responses are what are called you petitions. And you remember this, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. Then the next four, kind of a second category, are the us petitions. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Well, the first three petitions really are about the kingdom. We're talking about the second one, thy kingdom come. The one before it and the one after it is kind of cool. It kind of explains what takes place in the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom is the place where God's name is hallowed. And the kingdom is the place where God's will is followed. The kingdom is that place where people shamelessly adore and love God... And they're see, and they're, and, they're, and they're rather freed from sin, so they cease doing the things that God doesn't want them to do. So the kingdom is, his name is hallowed, and what? His will is followed. So here's the deal he wants us to become kingdom prayers. I'll tell you about one lady, an amazing woman, just outside the capital of Ethiopia. This woman, began to follow Christ, actually at a fairly old age. And in this story, they described her now very old. She was blind, illiterate, desperately poor, but she had one secret, and that is she prayed like nobody's business. She had two books in her house. One was a Bible in English, and the other one was a Bible in Hemaric, which is the national language in Ethiopia. And people would travel, listen to this, sometimes hours, just on foot, just so they could go and they could hear this poverty-stricken, blind, illiterate woman read the Bible. Now this is what I'm trying to say, friends, and you can decide whether you believe this or not. From an eternal perspective, viewed five billion or trillion years from now, the sincere prayer of a blind, illiterate peasant woman who was connected to the kingdom of God, asking for it to come on a daily basis, will have a greater impact on human history than all the maneuverings of Caesar and Napoleon and a thousand other little giants who grabbed for power but never ever bent their knee one time to pray this prayer. Ten billion years from now, it will be a blind, illiterate peasant woman in Ethiopia who makes history. Now, you decide if you believe that or not. But that's what Jesus' kingdom is all about. The kingdom, Jesus says, is the one thing that will save this world. So we need to pray about it. And we need to pray for it. We're going to try during this series to consistently pray for the kingdom to come. And as we close today, I want to tell you one story about a kingdom prayer. A guy by the name of Doug... Doug has a very unique ministry in Washington, D.C. He's involved with people in government and politics. And a long time ago, he hooked up with a guy named Bob. Bob was insurance. He wasn't really connected to anybody in D.C. as far as power or money. But Bob was a very ordinary guy, except he became a Christian, a Christ follower, and he started meeting with Doug on a regular basis. They would meet for breakfast or lunch, and they'd talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in their studies one day, they came to this place where Jesus was talking about prayer. And Doug, who didn't know much about Christianity, said to Bob, Bob, is that true? Like, can you really pray for stuff and prayers get answered? And Bob says, well, it is. And you have to understand, it's not like, you know, a blank check where God gives you anything that you want, any anytime that you want. But there are times that he leads you and he prompts you. And, you know, if you're praying with pure motives and according to God's will, a lot of times prayers, yeah, they are, they are answered. So Doug says, man, that's awesome. He says, i got to try that. And Bob said, what do you want to pray for, Doug? We'll pray. Doug says, I think I'm going to pray for Africa. And Bob says, well, that's a big, big target. Why don't we narrow that down a little bit? Doug said, okay, I'm going to pray for the country of Kenya. Bob said, well, do you know anybody in Kenya? He said, nope. Ever been there? Nope. I just want to pray for Kenya. (laughs) So Bob made an arrangement with Doug. He said, here's the deal. You pray for Kenya every day for 30 days. If nothing remarkable happens, like if God doesn't get involved in your prayers, at the end of 30 days, I'm going to give you $500. If something remarkable happens, then you have to pay me $500. Now, let me just say this. This is an extremely unusual prayer arrangement. Don't any of you ask me to do it, okay? (laughs) Very weird, okay? Anyway, for fun, Doug did this with Bob. Doug began to pray every day, but nothing happened. And then one evening, he was at a banquet dinner. And as they were eating dinner, they were talking around the table, and one of the women mentioned that she worked with a medical orphanage, the largest of its kind, in Kenya. All of a sudden, Doug came to life. He started peppering her with question after question after question. She said, have you ever been to my country? No. Why aren't you so interested? Do you know anybody there? No. How come you care so much about this? He says, well, I'm trying to win $500. <laughs> he said, no, really. He said, I'd love to come to your country, see the facility. So he flew over to Kenya and he toured it. And he was staggered by the need, by the poverty. Doug came back to the U.S. and he didn't know what to do, so he just kept praying. He finally sensed the leading and he started writing to pharmaceutical companies. He didn't know what he was doing, but he wanted to be used. So he prayed about it and he expected God to do something. He wrote to these companies and this is what he said. He said, listen, these people have nothing. I know that you have thousands of supplies that go unused. You have to get rid of them. So listen, why don't you start sending them to Kenya? (laughs) This facility in Africa ended up receiving more than a million dollars worth of pharmaceutical supplies. The woman who ran the orphanage called Doug back and said, listen, Doug, this is amazing. We'd like to fly you back over here. We're going to have a big party. We're going to celebrate. So he flew back to Africa. And while he was there, he met the president Of the country and he gave a tour of the capital now listen about this think about this they toured the capital and among the things they saw was a prison facility and there was a group of prisoners there and the president said oh yeah they're political prisoners and Doug says man that's a terrible idea (laughs) you guys ought to let those people go (laughs) Doug finished the tour he flew back home several days later Doug got a call from someone with the State Department. Is your name Doug? Yes. Were you recently with the president of Kenya? (coughs) Yes. Did you say anything about political prisoners? Yes. Well, I told him it was a bad idea, and they ought to let them out. The guy from the State Department said, we've been working for years to obtain the release of those political prisoners, and they just released them. (laughs) Several months later, that same president called Doug up and said, listen, we've had some unrest here. I'm shuffling my cabinet. I'd like you to come and spend three days in prayer with me. <laughs> Doug, who knows nobody, gets on a plane and flies to Africa and spends three days praying with the president of another country. Now here's the deal. Do you think God's kingdom broke into this world just a little bit more? It started because an ordinary guy with no Political clout with no connections decided to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This morning we're going to start that. Some people from Oasis are going to help us do that. And as they do pray, I'm going to ask you to respond at the end of that prayer as a congregation. Respond like you really want to see it happen in our lifetime. Let's pray. God of peace, we pray for those at war. Make your ways known upon the earth that all conflict should cease. Let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-ending fountain. Comfort those who mourn and give rest to the refugee. End the shedding of blood and use us to bring your healing to the world. In your name, we pray for the end of war. Lord, let let your kingdom come. God of love, we pray for the fearful. Cover them in your love. Give peace to those who are troubled and speak comfort to those who live without hope. Teach us, your church, to represent your perfect love that casts out all fear. Though the world grows darker, Your light shines all the brighter for it. In your name, we pray for the end of fear. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer on this first Sunday in this series. That your kingdom would come. Your will be done. I think about what that means in every sphere of life. I think about what it means in our relational world, in our vocational world, in our financial world, in our private world, in our recreational world, in our bodies, our minds. Father, it's not something we just sit back and we wait for. We must actively engage in helping bring about your kingdom. But it starts with being people of prayer. And so this morning, that is where we start. We just pray, God, your kingdom come. and every nation, in every kingdom on this earth, we pray that your, your heavenly kingdom would break through in our country where there is division and strife so much rhetoric and finger pointing may your kingdom break through may we learn to listen to each other trust each other think the best about each other I pray again God your kingdom would come and through this series may we become kingdom-minded, kingdom-bearers as we follow your Son. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.